Welcome back to Leaders of Color. On today's episode, we are joined by Johnny Boivin, who is from the Inu and Atikamekw Nations, currently a research technician at the Université de Montréal. He is working on a research project called Trans-Indigenous Youth Social Action Research Sharing Circle. He is also a member of the Youth Council at Native Montreal and Indigenous Friendship Center, as well as a member of the Committee at the Cher Réseau Jeunesse, Volet Autochtone with Concordia University. Johnny is also a multidisciplinary artist. His artwork ranges from paintings, beadwork, to sun catchers, a beaded creation of his and which he has taught to participants at a few workshops he has hosted. More recently, he has worked on the visual team for the experimental theater piece Notamique by Veronique Basile-Hébert, presented at the First People's Festival in Montreal. His interests also reach sports, more specifically hockey, and Boivin aims to pursue studies in sports management someday in hopes of developing a career around hockey and to bring a movement of change for racialized players. Welcome to the podcast, Johnny. How have you been doing this week? Uh, I've been doing good. A little busy, but uh, it feels good to be busy sometimes. So yeah, how are you? I'm good too. Also been busy, you know, tiring, but, (laughs) but such is life. So just to get to know you a little bit better for our audience, uh, before we start talking about the work that you're doing, we've seen a lot of strange quarantine experiences throughout the pandemic. And and most of the pandemic has been obviously very depressing and, yeah. and not at all helpful um, for folks. But trying to look on the bright spot of it, have there been any strange experiences or interesting experiences you've had while being in quarantine? I think for me, one of the most interesting experiences was right at the beginning of the lockdown where everybody was supposed to be inside unless it was like essential. I had to go downtown and usually St. Catherine in Montreal is one of the busiest streets mm-hmm. and it was dead. There was not a single soul other than me. And it oh, was wow. so strange being in downtown Montreal where it's usually so loud and so lively and to just like it was dead quiet, silence and for a moment I felt like it was so peaceful (laughs) like I actually enjoyed my time downtown for once Mm -hmm. so that that was probably one of the strangest things just everything that like that has to do with life that's that you're used to being so busy and and having people around and suddenly it's it's like you're in a different an alternative reality almost Mm -hmm. so yeah that was that was the strangest to me I think yeah that makes a lot of sense my sort of my best part of living in Montreal I think was actually when it was very dead quiet which doesn't happen very often but like when I was at university I would go to just like by the Eaton Center Place Ville-Marie and and there where they put the Christmas tree up in the winter Mm -hmm. and at like four in the morning after studying go for a walk just by myself over there and there's nobody it's just like dead quiet yeah which was like very strange but also very nice and relaxing (laughs) Yeah, it it felt like suddenly, like, this is maybe what Montreal should have been like, you know, like, very quiet and a very nice space with, like, the forest and the mountain, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I I feel like, I don't know, it was very nice to to kind of experience a different, um, a different side of the city, like a quieter Mm -hmm. side when, you know, this is such a, a lively city. And I mean, Living in Montreal, it's really hard to pick the strangest experience because <laughs> every day is a circus here. <laughs> yes, very true, very true. But I'm glad you got to have some sort of a, a positive experience in spite of all the the trauma of the pandemic. Yeah, which we're still dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you folks are a little bit. I'm in Ontario now, so I know you folks are a little bit ahead of the the rest of us out in Quebec, luckily somehow <laughs> by some miracle. But. <laughs> 
but yeah, good, good to hear. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing and the initiative that you brought on. Well, with the Youth Council at Name in Montreal, our goal is always to create something that's going to reach out to other youth. And so every time we kind of have like a big brainstorm of what subject we want to work on because every year it's different and because of the pandemic at the previous council we were meant to do a it was supposed to be a documentary on access to clean water and we were meant to go into two reserves uh, two communities and it kind of fell through with the pandemic so we had to switch everything to online and so with the new council we had those same limitations. We couldn't go out. We couldn't really, we couldn't even meet in person until the very end where we're meeting in a park. And so the idea of sticking with the environment was uh, kind of revived because it was a new council. And so we kind of took this, this documentary type of format and put it on an online platform where we would be able to interview guests without necessarily having to meet in people in person. So we've mm-hmm. turned into this creation of a podcast where we receive some guests and we discuss different issues. And I mean, it, it was a very interesting project because it touched the environment, but it touched on so many other subjects at the same time. There were those sub-subjects as well. The council was split into uh, small teams of two. So I think there's a total of three or four episodes that are out. And we're hoping to actually release more episodes with the new council that's going to start uh, shortly. So it's uh, it's an ongoing project. Amazing. Yeah, obviously, we're, we're fans of using podcasts as a medium <laughs> to, to spread the word. Do you want to share a little bit about what Native Montreal does and, and what the goals of the organization are? Well, Native Montreal is a Native Friendship Center in Montreal. And so they, they don't just do things for the youth. They have services to accompany, like I know like the 60s Scoop, they had like a service to accompany elders if they wanted to, you know, pursue some kind of legal procedures. Uh, they also offer crafting uh, circles. Uh, it used to be like twice a week before the pandemic, but I think now it's, um, they have like activities every Wednesday. Uh, online via Zoom and it's craft activities where uh, people can learn how to bead earrings, how to do all kinds of different crafts that you know could be maybe considered a little more uh, traditional like beadwork and so they really kind of cater to to everybody and they have the U Council which is still fairly new. It started in 2019 actually Mm-hmm. So it's still very recent. That was the third mandate that we finished with the uh, this podcast. And the fourth one is going to start probably at the end of this month. So, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and what motivated you to, to get involved and, and start doing the work that you're doing, but also the, the sort of creative aspect behind it? Well, I had never been in a youth council before. Back where I grew up, I was the only Indigenous person in my class and in my school. And so it, I didn't really have like connection with my culture. And so I reached a point in my life where I was tired of hiding my identity because it, I had hidden it for so long because I had faced, you know, racist comments and, you know, it just made me want mm-hmm. to hide. Mm-hmm. And I was just tired of hiding. So I found the Native Center. I found Native Montreal and I showed up to, it, it was actually a, a beating workshop. And it kind of, you know, I went and I thought, hey, let's just, you know, get my foot in the door, see how it's like up there, see if 
see if it feels like home, see if it's something for me. And then I really enjoyed the workshop and I returned for Christmas for their party. And that's when I got to meet a little more of the staff, um, got to meet the director of the center. And I got to meet uh, the youth uh, intervention worker who was the coordinator of the youth council. And I kind of signed up without realizing I signed up, actually. <laughs> I became a member of the center to have access to, you know, their services and activities. Mm-hmm. And there was a mention of a, a youth council and I, I just kind of, clicked yes because in my head I thought it was something that was already going and that I would be put on like a wait list or something and then I got contacted and it's like you've been selected and it's like oh okay and I had no idea what to expect because I had never been in in something like that and it just blew my mind that I could find a group of peers that shared values and shared the same interests and concerns as me and to be able to create projects with them and to to just see things grow and, and create like these really strong friendships. I, I feel like it's the council is not just it's for us, but it's for for like the youth at the same time because our projects mm-hmm. reach out, you know. Mm-hmm. One of the, the previous projects we did was an ASMR project and it was a language revitalization project where we asked people to film something that inspired them and to whisper a word in their native language on top of it and oh, cool. it just became like I think the same week that we launched it we had interviews lining up it just kind mm-hmm. of blew up and it was it was so like beautiful to watch this grow into something that reached out and it, it felt fulfilling because that's our goal we want our projects to reach out and we want them to reach the youth and it, it's just such a beautiful initiative and I, I owe so much to this council as well mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And it's amazing that it's been both like community building and kinship and also being able to produce amazing work for folks and just like very all encompassing, which is wonderful. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit too about the research that you've been doing? So this is a fairly, well, new and not new project. It was actually supposed to launch before the pandemic, (laughs) another one that fell through. And I was actually... I was at Project 10, which is a queer organization in Montreal. I was talking with someone there, and they just mentioned that they were looking for someone to facilitate a sharing circle, like a two-spirit sharing circle. And mm-hmm. right away, I thought, yes, because I, I feel like there was a, a very big lack of of group here in Montreal. I feel like there's not a lot of, you know, there's the council that we have at Native Montreal, there's all kinds of organizations, but I feel like the queer community, the indigenous queer community doesn't really have a, a space. And so I was really interested and I was put in contact with uh, Annie Poulin Sanfasson, who's the uh, professor at uh, the university, but she's also the basically coordinating this, uh, this project. Mm-hmm. And it sort of became this big thing where I'm going to facilitate the project, but I'm also going to work on the research aspect. So basically, this is a sharing circle where we're inviting two-spirit youth who identify as two-spirit, trans, gender, non-conforming, non-binary, to just come and kind of share their experience, but it's in a research frame. So we're going to obviously collect data from this so that we can hopefully create some kind of change for the two-spirit community, because the indigenous queer community has very specific needs compared to... Mm -hmm the queer community in general Mm -hmm. and there hasn't been a lot of research done on that and there hasn't been a lot of attention either 
to these issues that we face as two-spirit because I'm two-spirit myself. And so to me, this was a very important research project. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm very excited. It's, it's in the starting process. Like our first meeting is actually on uh, September 16th. Oh, amazing. And yeah. So we have no idea who's going to show up, how many mm -hmm. people are going to show up. This is a very open group. And we're actually using social action research methodologies as well as indigenous methodologies. We're mm -hmm. also going to have an elder. So this is a very like comfortable space. I think we made sure that it would be a very comfortable space. It's majoritarily an indigenous theme that's working on this as well. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be nice to have a space for us and hopefully to see this group grow into in, into something big who knows you know it's sometimes when you start a research it can turn into its own organization it's happened mm -hmm. before where the i mean if i take a, an example with with annie she coordinated a research where it was parents of trans children and they started their own organization after the project after the the research so there's a bit of anticipation here into what this project could could turn into but it's it's very exciting yeah that sounds amazing congratulations that's so exciting i can't wait to hopefully see what you do and and everything that comes of that in the work that you're doing and in the work that a lot of us do specifically as racialized as black indigenous and racialized youth mm -hmm. we face different challenges than than what our white counterparts might face for example mm -hmm. have there been any challenges that you faced in in doing either of these these initiatives and how have you dealt with those specifically over the pandemic period well, I think one of the biggest obstacles that I can think of, it's more of like, I wouldn't know how to describe it, like it's more of a systemic issue. I feel like a lot of times when we have like the councils or research projects, like like the one I'm working on, there's an age limit, there's an age range, mm -hmm. and a lot of times it has to do with the funding. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that it, it separates the people because I have a lot of friends that are over the age limit to participate in the youth council but their experience and their their knowledge is just as valuable as us youth but youth is always such a vague a vague yeah. age range right mm -hmm. like for some people it's until 25 for some it's until 30 yeah so I, I feel like as much as i understand like delimiting like a certain uh, frame for youth i feel like sometimes these are obstacles that kind of prevent us especially when it's in our culture to not have those age separations it kind of creates some some issues, I think, in terms of, of, I mean, it limits the amount of people that can participate, for one. Mm -hmm. But also, it, it's, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, I'm reaching my mid-20s and, yep. you know, for some places after 25, I won't be able to participate anymore. And mm -hmm. I am so deeply involved in these things that I am kind of terrified to know what's going to happen after this because... I feel like there's a lack of follow-up. There's nothing after that. There's no group to kind of follow up with what happens after you, you know, drop out of the age range. So this is kind of an issue that I noticed was kind of really ingrained in the system. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it has to do with the funding mostly. Yeah. It's the same issue with the research where, you know, funding, as much as it can be a helpful system, it can also be an oppressive system because of those limitations and because they establish guidelines rather than just allowing us to emancipate in a way. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a limitation that I noticed was kind of recurring. The more that I'm involved 
in, in organizations, I realized that funding is categorically very separatist in, in its way. I know I can sound a bit radical saying it this way, no, but I not at all. feel like it's it separates us because mm-hmm. it's a system that is, you know, obviously white and mm-hmm. us indigenous people don't work that way. So, mm-hmm. but we kind of have to fit in and we kind of have to, you know, squeeze in and try to go with the flow. But a lot of times it's creating separations in our community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that a lot of folks can can resonate with in terms of trying to navigate, particularly racialized folks, navigate these white systems in colonial ways that are not necessarily conducive to the ways that our communities live and work and, and do community work in particular. And I definitely relate to the age challenge. When we started leading in color, it was 15 or, yeah, 15 or, or just under 15 to 25. And then I turned 25 and I was like, oh, no, I'm not done yet. <laughs> exactly. And so it's, now we're 30. <laughs> yeah, it, we still have so much to give. And, and it mm-hmm. feels like we just get the carpet ripped off of under our feet. You know, we just mm-hmm. got started. Like for me, you know, I something that I find so beautiful is that with the council, we have very young members that are like 15, 16. And it's like, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. so happy to see them starting this young because they have a lot of time ahead of them. I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> it's so beautiful and at the same time a little bittersweet mm-hmm. because I can see myself reaching this level and I'm like, okay, is there a way I can just go see Phil at Native Montreal and ask to bypass? Like, is there a way <laughs> I can squeeze in? I can't just drop mm-hmm. it there. Like, you know, this is kind of like my baby. I've been there since the mm-hmm. beginning. <laughs> so there's this, you know, such attachment to, to what we do and, and dedication that it's it feels kind of like we get robbed when we reach the end in a way it, it, because it's not an end that we chose. It's not, we, we didn't decide to end there and to stop. It wasn't on our own terms. Yeah. So it feels a little, um, yeah, I'm, I'm dreading it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting and, and makes a lot of sense. I don't think we've had a chance to talk about that yet in any of our podcast episodes around the idea of like youth as a concept being inherently like, capitalist in a way because it's tied to the funding and if we didn't have it tied to funding what would the work that we do look like like how would we cater to younger people how would it change the way we cater to people who like if we're defining youth as up to 30 for example Mm -hmm. what would that shift look like how would it change and like we don't get the the chance to explore any of that because it's just like okay well youth is a funding block that we're gonna give money to and if you fit within this block here's your money do it for X amount of time, and then you're exactly. done. Exactly. Yeah, the the limitation in time is also kind of a downer because, for example, mm-hmm. for research, sometimes your project is not done within the time that they allowed you. Sometimes yeah. the project needs longer. Sometimes you find out things that, oh, it changes the whole, the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. the whole system. And it feels like those systems are not very flexible, but at the same time, I think this is why we're here. We're trying to, to you know, prove it wrong. We're trying to, to show that we deserve a spot there. And in a way, I, I feel like what I'm doing with the research is also decolonizing the, the university because I do not have a high school diploma and I am employed by the university and they had to really go around and kind of figure out which syndicate to put me in because mm-hmm. I didn't fit in any of them. But because of that, we got to decolonize the system a little bit. We got to give a spot, you know, to someone mm-hmm. like that. 
because even if I don't have a diploma, it doesn't mean that my experiences are not valid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of time with schools, with systems that are a little more, you know, governmental, you know, everything mm -hmm. has to be on a paper. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for this opportunity to, to have a spot in, in obviously a colonial institution, mm -hmm. but to be able to decolonize it a little bit. Yeah. So I think as youth, it's important that we really cherish those years that we have when we fit within those those years. And who knows where it's going to lead? Who knows if, if one day that there's not going to be a limit? You know, there's mm -hmm. things have been changing quite rapidly in the past few years. And I feel like it's it's a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. I think that's super insightful. And, and I, I hope you're right. I agree with you. <laughs> and I, I hope we do get to see that. And it's also one thing I was just talking about on a panel the other day as well as like the privilege that comes with being in these colonial institutions when it comes to like accessing resources or accessing space, like being able to book a room to host an event or, or like to organize yourselves and mobilize yourselves in person if we weren't in a pandemic. But, but even online, if you have like access to a Zoom account or something through your institution, there's so much that comes with that. But it's again, cut off by this idea of like, you don't fit into what this particular archetype is that we're looking for. And therefore you get no access to any of these resources. Exactly. And age is just one of those cutoffs as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's definitely, definitely interesting to look at. There have been a lot of challenges like, like you were, you're speaking about, especially when they're systemic, right? We have to deal mm -hmm. with them. Challenges that are not necessarily personal, but that are being forced upon us. But when we're doing community work or in, engaging with our communities in some way, it can also be fulfilling, obviously. That's why we do it, right? Yeah, of course. So I'm wondering if there's been a particular story or a particular moment that you were like, this is, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and this is how it's going to be meaningful and fulfilling to me. I think right from the first council, you know, I, I was a very anxious person. I have ADHD. Uh, so, you know, th mm -hmm. this has been, and, and this has only been diagnosed recently. So when I started the council, I had no idea. So yeah. focusing was very hard. I dropped out of school a couple of times, you know, like my, mm -hmm. my commitment to things was always kind of never continuous. And I, I was afraid that I would be something that I would, that would, end up like giving up on mm -hmm. eventually but the feeling that I got from being there and just being around people that kind of felt the same way as me and that resembled me in a way was such a such a fulfilling feeling and the first project we did was we organized a cultural uh day like we basically we rented a space we had workshops throughout the day we had youth from different communities coming down to Montreal we had one of our council members who had flown back to uh, Hihalwit, where she's from, and we actually booked her plane to come back down just for the event. How oh, nice. It was, and I had never done this. Again, you know, council stuff, I had never done this, let alone organizing a day with workshops, you know, and it, it just... I think it hit me when I when we did the opening. We had one of our members who was with her sister, and they sang and danced. We had an elder who did an opening ceremony, and I think it kind of sank in there that I was like, "This is my place. Like, this is this is what I'm meant to do. Like, I'm mm -hmm. able to make change and to to organize and do something that's making a difference in someone's life." Because this day had 
created such bonds with with people that came down and and then after that i feel like it kind of snowballed from there mm -hmm. you know the community is big but it's small at the same time where everybody knows each other so from yeah. there on it's like hey you were there hey you were there do you want to participate to this to that and then you just mm -hmm. kind of like say yes to everything because <laughs> all the opportunities are falling on you and mm -hmm. everything is just you know accessible and you're kind of you get eager when when things like that happen and that's why I just kind of like kept on taking more and more projects because it's it's it is a fulfilling work and I mean I say work but like it's it's all voluntary you know mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I mean I don't mind <laughs> it, yeah. it's it feels like this is what I'm meant to be doing in some mm -hmm. way you know it's it's something that's bringing change and I can see the changes bringing so it's of course there's a lot of a lot of pride there but I mean it's I feel like I've grown a lot too, you know, like I said, I, I, I was a very anxious person, a lot of social anxiety, couldn't even make phone calls for myself at some point, you know, and now I'm able to do all of these things with the councils and to take on responsibilities that I never thought I was even able to. So mm -hmm. I, it's it's been an experience that I can say it's the council that made me grow so much in so few years. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I... I can't be thankful enough for them. That's wonderful. And that's so encouraging to hear about how you've experienced such personal growth in the time that you've been there and what that means to you, I think is so amazing. What are some of the upcoming things that you're working on with Native Montreal? What can we expect next? Well, they still have their workshops going on every Wednesdays. Um, I've done it already two with them for uh, some of the sun catches that I make and I'm thinking of maybe doing another one if I'm not too busy because obviously with the research it's it's gonna take quite a bit of my time but yeah we have the council that's supposed to start again I don't know if the registration already started but I know they contacted us as former members to see if we wanted to continue because it was actually decided that rather than kind of choosing our own project like we did every year they really loved the podcast and so we're going mm -hmm. to continue with that so oh, it's just going to be different topics this time, not mm -hmm. necessarily just the environment, but I think it's really great that we're kind of continuing what we started. So this is really exciting. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. And where can people follow the work that you're doing and the work of the Youth Council? Well, the Facebook page of Native Montreal is sharing whenever the council has things going on. And the podcast can be found on Spotify. It's called We're Still Here. And so far, yeah, I think there's three, four episodes. I can't remember. We have like, we had like a bit of a, of a hectic period because our youth uh, intervention coordinator, she's no longer at Native Montreal. So the change of staff kind of, we lost a bit of touch with the process at mm -hmm. some point, but everything is released. It's just, we don't know the views or how how well it did but we're assuming it did good if if that's going to be the next project <laughs> yeah yeah I think that's a safe assumption if you're investing more into it that's awesome thank you so much for joining us where can folks follow your work if you have any personal website or anything like that you want to plug you can feel free to share it so my work can be found at trashy and tradish on uh, facebook and on instagram and for the Youth Council, it's at Native Montreal uh, on Facebook and on Instagram as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you go, we have a closing segment that we like to do because I am usually very pessimistic and this is my version of being optimistic. 
Um, so we have a segment that we call how I would end racism because as young leaders of color, we're usually trying to actually reduce racism in some way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what if we could imagine that we could just do it instantly? And so my favorite go-to is the Thanos snap right now, where <laughs> you just snap your fingers and all the white supremacists disappear. Um, so easy. <laughs> but we've had some pretty creative ones on the show. So what is your best imaginative idea for how you would add racism? I don't know if it's in imaginative, but I feel like if they got to experience it firsthand, like if they woke up one day and things were completely flipped, where white people were the oppressed, I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. spend a month like that, maybe that's going to change your views on certain things. Mm-hmm. Hey, I mean, everybody's always talking about reverse racism. <laughs> but, yeah, but at the same time, I, I, I had this thought, you know, I, I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, I, as much as I feel like that would open their eyes maybe i feel like at the same time i actually had an experience recently that made me realize that maybe not <laughs> fair we ran into our first anti-vaxxers in our neighborhood oh no and the first thing my wife said was white people really want to be oppressed and that really got me thinking because i was like you know what yeah if the roles were flipped they would just be content to be oppressed mm-hmm. because they can make a victim out of themselves so maybe that's not the way fair point fair point i have also said that so i i definitely concur with your wife <laughs> amazing thank you so much for joining us um and we will be sure to plug your your artwork and and see what's upcoming for you in the future and yeah and best of luck to native montreal and the youth council with the next edition of, of the podcast Well, thank you so much for having me. That was really fun. And um, I hope that people find something they like in our podcast. I I should probably mention it. It's a bilingual podcast. Amazing. There's obviously some in French and some in English. But Mm -hmm. with the... With the next few councils, I, I'm hoping that it's going to be a little more of variety because our councils are always so diverse. So mm-hmm. we never know. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And definitely a, an additional feat to be able to do it in uh, both English and French. Yeah. <laughs>